ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. We are three weeks away from the start of the 2022 NFL Draft wall-to-wall coverage, which you can hear and see on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, and over on the old tube on ESPN. My co-host, Harry Douglas, is going to be part of ESPN's digital coverage for the three days during the draft. We have been keeping him busy with a whole lot of film prep. And what better time now to welcome in Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, to the show, joining Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio. Matt, the pro day circuit is effectively over right now. LSU, the exclamation point yesterday. Derek Stingley Jr. coming off the injury. Wowed a ton of scouts with his 40 time, with his vertical, all the different measurables that we have been wanting to see from him because I talked to a few scouts who wondered if he actually existed because we didn't see him last year playing. Did he do enough to prove that he's a top cornerback to be taken in this year's draft? He doesn't prove he exists. I mean, that's, that was the key, right? No, I, I'm with you, Courtney. A lot of it was I talked to scouts who were like, hey, is this too good to show up? Because, you know, I only played three games this year with the Liz Frank injury. Uh, COVID-shortened season the year before, but he only played seven and ten games that year. So I think a lot of it was like, okay, we've never seen him in person. Let's let's get this over with. And he – I mean, he was good. I don't want to get it twisted and say his numbers were, like, legendary because they weren't. They were good. They were, they were good for a big corner, which he is. But I, I think that what it did was kind of reignite the conversation of, hey, if you can get 2019 Derek Seaman Jr., you're getting the best corner in this draft. And that's something he said in his press availability was, if you get me at my best, you're getting the greatest, which I agree with. The question is, how do we know we're getting that? And I think that's why his draft stock is such a, a question at this point is just because you really don't – you can't be certain, right? And I want to believe that we're getting that guy. But I, I feel like we've been down this road with players before, guys like you know, even Marshawn Lattimore, who's, who's dealt with injuries throughout his NFL career, hasn't really been the guy he was at Ohio State. Or Malik Hooker, who had that one great year at Ohio State, but it's never really been the same because of injuries. So I think we've seen that show at DB before, which makes you a little bit scared. But I'm rooting for him because that 2019 tape, he should have won the Thorpe Award. I mean, he was amazing. At, at 18 years old, he was the best corner in college football. So I'm hopeful that he can get back to that. Yeah, Matt, he definitely got robbed that year. And I want to piggyback on some of the things you said. Like, I love Stingley Jr. I have him as my number one because – a few of the, the hardest things for a corner to do is be able to intercept the ball. I played with a guy named Asante Samuel. He used to laugh at our DBs in practice. Man, you dropping money left and right when you're dropping interceptions. <laughs> One thing we know Derek Senior Jr. is not going to do is drop interceptions. Also, being able to turn your head and locate the football without passing, getting a pass interference call. He does a great job of that. Uh, reading and understand route concepts, not to mention he has the size to do it. And I will say this, he played against three people that's in the National Football League right now every day in practice. That's Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall. I throw on top of that a guy in C.D. Lamb in the SEC Championship game. You want me to throw more sauce on it? Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, (laughs) all those guys at uh, at Alabama. So he went up against top competition, not just every day in practice, but – in games during that 2019 season. And I even throw T Higgins and Justin Ross in that as well, in the national championship game. Oh, without a doubt. Like you could just watch the practice footage of 2019 LSU and see all you need to see, which I've seen some clips of it. I haven't seen like full practice tape, but the clips are 
I mean, it's wild. You know, it's it's like watching superstars go head to head, which they you know were just in their youth at that time. So I I am still a big fan of Stingley. I hope I hope 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 that a team gets him and is able to kind of relight that fire. I, one thing I'm curious about is when you start as a true freshman and you're the best corner in the country, your team goes undefeated, and then you lose Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase opts out, and you lose Justin Jefferson. And you kind of – that program at LSU starts going a tailspin with everything going on, on and off the field. I have to wonder if he didn't look around the room and was like, I am not playing through injury for this. <laughs> and if that's the case, that's a pretty easy answer. If teams are like, hey, you've been checked out the last two years. And he was like, did you see what I was dealing with? Yeah, I checked out, but I will be checked in for you. I'm ready to go for you. You know, he has football in his bloodlines. So there's definitely, you know, the, the heritage there where he can say, I understand what it means to be a professional football player. I was one at 19 years old here. I just want to play for a winner or a team that's trying to win. If if I were in a front office and we're sitting down at LSU's pro day and he tells me that, I'm like, all right, let's, he's the pick. Let's find a way to get him. Now I want to talk to you about some wide receivers. When you look at this wide receiver class, if you're a team, you're an owner, you're a general manager, and you had to pick one guy of this wide receiver class to turn your franchise around and make plays and be outstanding, who is the one guy that you're taking? Man, it's such a tough question. You know this better than I do. You know, it matters on what you have around you because I think with receivers these days, we're looking for, you know, mixes and matches. So, like, Drake London from USC is my favorite receiver. I think he is scheme-proof at six foot five, 88 catches in only eight games. He's great in the red zone. He's great at 50-50 balls. He just kind of posts guys up, almost like a little bit of a bigger Michael Thomas. But there are going to be some schemes where, like, maybe he's not the guy you want. Maybe you'd want Garrett Wilson from Ohio State or – Jamison Williams from Alabama. But if I had to just pick one to your question, Harry, I would take Drake London because I, I do think that that skill set, size is a skill to me. And to be 6'5", to play above the rim like he does, that is something that every quarterback can work with. And if I had a young quarterback, if I had a Jalen Hurts or a Zach Wilson, some of these guys that sometimes struggle with that pinpoint accuracy, especially in the red area where things get tight, like I want 6'5", I want a small forward down there who I can just throw the ball up to, and, and that's Drake London. We're talking with Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst, joining Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. There are a lot of teams uh, that lost receivers through free agency, two that come to mind, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. And I'm wondering if you feel like they should do all that they can to draft a receiver in this class. And the reason I ask that is because your colleague, Todd McShay, in his latest two-round mock does not have Green Bay looking for Devontae Adams' replacement in either the first or the second round. Can they be confident that this receiver class is deep enough that they could potentially wait till the third round to address that void? Or should they be more active in looking either on day one or early day two? I think you have to be active on day one, Courtney. Like I, know, I understand it's been 20 years since you drafted Javon Walker in the first round. you got to do it. Uh, they needed a receiver before they traded Devontae Adams. I don't feel like enough people are talking about that with Green Bay. It's like, hey. Y'all needed a receiver already, and you traded the best one in the NFL away. So you have an extra first, you have an extra second. I think they need to take two receivers in this draft, early in this draft. So at 22, they should be praying that someone like Jamison Williams is there. Traylon Burks from Arkansas, someone they should be targeting. I mean, we might even have to talk about them taking another guy at 29, if not in the second round. So I think Green Bay is interesting. They don't have a lot of needs elsewhere. Like, this is a a pretty good roster. It's a well-rounded roster. You have a great quarterback. You don't need to put a whole lot around him, you know, in order to build this team up to a playoff or Super Bowl level. So I think that you got to give him receivers, though. As great as Aaron Rodgers is, 
you got to give him help. And you can say that about every quarterback in the NFL. You mentioned the Chiefs at 29 and 30. I think they've actually done a good job of we're going to trade Tyreek Hill. Let's get some talented, inexpensive options and a one-year deal for Juju, uh, basically a two-year deal for MVS. But they're not handcuffed to those guys for the long term so that they could still, if Debo Samuel's leaving San Francisco by scrubbing his Instagram, if he's on the market, if DK Metcalf is on the market, the Chiefs still have that flexibility with two picks and none of these guys are locked into long-term deals. Whereas with Green Bay, at least right now, it, it seems like they're kind of content to be quiet and maybe head into the draft with those four picks in the first two rounds to try to find some younger, cheaper options at that position. I got to ask you about two guys. I watched their film yesterday, spent a lot of hours dissecting them. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, who I think is going to be a project, a guy who can be very, very good in this league with the proper coaching uh, to teach him a lot of different technique stuff. And another one, Sky Moore. I love his quickness and stuff that he presents on the football field, especially getting off the line of scrimmage, his speed and, and, and whatnot. What are your thoughts on Christian Watson and Sky Moore? Yeah, I love Christian Watson. Um, I was a little late on him because he had a hamstring injury this year. So I first started watching him maybe a couple weeks before the Senior Bowl because I wanted to see him down there. And then when I saw him at the Senior Bowl, it was like, is this dude really – like this is the guy that everybody's telling me so fast and agile because he's 6'4". And you yeah, don't see that very often. So it's like, okay, we'll, we'll see. And then he starts running routes, Harry, and I was like, oh, my gosh, yep, this this kid is amazing. So I think he's a first-round pick. Like you said, he's going to be a little bit of a, a project. But at six foot four, I've seen him run routes. I've seen him take the ball, like, in the backfield. They've handed him the football before, which you just don't see at his size. So you, right now I think he's an offensive weapon that to run a 4-3-6-4 is one of the crazier things I've ever seen a draft prospect do. So let's just find ways to get him the ball right away as he develops. I think with Sky Moore, as you said, what he doesn't get enough credit for, in my opinion, is how tough he is. There are so many times where he's just like bouncing off defenders. He's fearless over the middle, but he does have that quickness. And I think you could look at him and say, like, that's a DJ Moore type wide receiver who yep. he's sub 5'10, but he's a buck 95. So he's kind of got some stockiness to him. He's got 4'4'1 speed, he's explosive. Uh, he can change directions on the fly, and he doesn't drop passes. That was the crazy thing to me. This dude has 10 and a quarter inch hands, and he's only 5'9". Like that. So he has these, these catcher's mitts for hands, and it definitely shows up on the field. We are going to have gone an entire segment here on ESPN Radio talking with Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, without asking any questions about quarterbacks in the first round. I think this is an accomplishment for all of us. But, Matt, before we let you go, really quickly about the offensive line. Evan Neal, Iki Iguanu are the top tackles. Uh, Tyler Lindenbaum is the top in, top-ranked interior offensive lineman. How does the end of the first round shake out, in your opinion, with teams maybe trying to add a little bit of depth on their offensive line? Like, who are the names we should be looking at that might be more of those projects that are second-round grade guys but are potentially going to sneak in there at the end of the first round? Yeah, I think, you know, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa might go mid-first, but there's a chance he's there late first round. Uh, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, who has played – Everywhere on that AM offensive line, he's only 21 years old, three-year starter. Again, the versatility is amazing. Zion Johnson from Boston College to play guard or center. He's definitely in the mix. Tyler Smith from Tulsa is probably one to watch where he'll grade out as like an early round two player, but because of, you know, he's very young and raw at the position, but no one is meaner in this entire draft. He's just, if you want, like, hey, who's the meanest guy? It's Tyler Smith. Uh, that also led to like 16 penalties last year, so he has some things to figure out, but He's dominant in the run game, and that ability, the athleticism and the toughness could definitely push him up to where 
I mean, like Dallas at 24 wouldn't be out of the question. Well, there you have it. Busy three weeks coming up for Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst. The NFL draft kicks off on Thursday, April 28th with round one wall-to-wall coverage on all of ESPN's digital and audio platforms. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, too. All right, straight ahead, it is opening day. So, of course, we're going to try to fix baseball because it's got a lot of problems. This is ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. League Baseball's back, and we're going to play 162 games. The international draft, which was such an issue, found a solution. Once that happened, Major League Baseball sent a proposal back over to the Players Association, and it was voted through. It's great news for all baseball fans. Rank and file, pretty happy, and pretty happy to be flying from all over the country and the world to get to spring training on time. Man, I couldn't believe that that pesky international draft almost cost us opening day this year, which is currently going on. Baseball ended its lockout, its labor stoppage after 99 days, 99 days, way too long for a sport that continues to uh, find itself reveling uh, in its own issues between ownership and players. But at least things have been settled for now. Opening day is today, so happy opening day to you and yours if you celebrate. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. He is Harry Douglas. I am Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Going to throw out the number for the Canty call-in line. I, as a baseball fan, or really a former avid baseball fan who has turned more of a casual baseball fan because of the nonsense that MLB has reveled in for years and tuned me out, um, I would like to know how to fix Major League Baseball. Kind of a loaded question. You can take it whichever angle, uh, whichever way you want to go with it. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. How would you fix Major League Baseball? So with opening day happening today, Harry, and continuing throughout the weekend, there's a lot to get into at the start of a 162-game schedule for baseball. We know they're going to play the full schedule. The lockout did not stop that. But there's a bunch of new rules that have been initiated, increased roster size, the universal DH, double headers. Uh, there's going to be ghost runners. The roster size will go at least until May 1st uh, from 26 players to 28. And then, of course, pitch com. The thing that uh, Major League Baseball approved to limit sign stealing, <laughs> that's the thing. So, I mean, there's so many different layers to all of the new rules and all of the stuff baseball's trying to do to save the sport. But I sit here on the uh, on the day of opening day wondering, okay, can baseball actually rebound from the mess it created for itself the last 99 days? Well, I'll say this. And one thing I do love, I do love uh, the universal DH, right? I thought it was kind of weird that you, you have it in one conference and then have it in another. I was like, that's weird. And when you play certain games, you, you can't have it. It's just, it didn't make sense to me at all. But I will say this, the ability to, to reach the younger generation, I think is very, very important for Major League Baseball. Um, younger generation just isn't interested as it was 20 years ago. When we were younger, Courtney, and you go mm-hmm. from things like baseball cards, right? This younger generation, a lot of them don't even collect baseball cards. That was a huge They're deal. They're into NFTs now. Yeah, that was a huge deal back then. And uh, I think players and Major League Baseball, they need to get out and market the game more, right? They need to get out into the community and do, do a lot of different things to promote the game the right way. But at first, uh, the two sides need to get on the same page. And I understand you have a players association and you, and you have the, the owners and 
um, the commissioner, uh, trying to get things intact. In, in but in order to market the game the proper way, y'all need to show some kind of unity um, and be an example so these, this younger generation that y'all are losing uh, so they can be more involved in the game. I'm wondering if that starting pitcher designated hitter rule is baseball's way of doing that because we complain a lot about pace of play and the game takes too long and you know limiting pitchers from being able to be in the lineup once they're done pitching. You know, it takes it, it tunes out a certain audience. So this universal DH, it's basically the Shohei Otani rule. Now that there is this universal DH, the league has had to make this adjustment to um, you know, not necessarily affect one of its best players in baseball. And, and you know, he's a 2021 AL MVP. So with this current CBA, starting pitchers who are included in the batting order can remain in the order even once they're done pitching. I feel like that's going to draw more eyeballs on the product if we continue to see someone like Shohei Otani do the things he did in 2021 this season. Like I saw in SportsCenter this morning, almost kind of like a eulogy to the Bartolo Colones of the world, where that's not necessarily going to be an anomaly anymore, and that's going to be you know incorporated in the game. I think instead of it being just kind of this rare not spectacle, it's probably the wrong word, but this, this rare occurrence or you know semi-rare occurrence and, and it being more regular in baseball or regular, a regular contributor to the overall effect of the game, I think that that's really going to help the product. Like That's one thing that, at least of all these rules, that I'm most looking forward to this year. Yeah, I, I know, uh, you mentioned a guy, Sho, uh, Shohei Atani, a guy that I'm actually looking forward to seeing this entire year, and can he uh, put a year together like he did last year. But seeing him make the all-star game as a pitcher and as a DH, playing in games and uh, going 9-2 and two as a starter last year as a pitcher, but then dinging home runs left and right, that's exciting for the game. That's something that these, this young generation can get a part of and get on board of when it comes to the game of baseball. Yeah, so we're asking you how to fix Major League Baseball. Again, it's a loaded question, but you can take it anywhere you want to go with it because baseball needs some help. Clearly, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, can't fix it all on his own and has certainly uh, failed at trying, so we want your calls, 888-SAY-ESPN, on the Canty call-in line, 888-729-3776. We'll get to those here shortly. But coming up next, a Baseball Hall of Famer joins the show. You're listening to ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Tune into baseball's opening day and opening night as the Braves host the Reds. Coverage begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Courtney Kern and Harry Douglas kicking it with you until coverage of the Braves and Reds games begin tonight. So 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We asked you, the listener, to call into the Canty call-in line, one say espn 888-729-3776, to tell us how to fix baseball because, uh, yeah, they're playing today and the 99-day lockout ended, but uh, it left a lot of debris in their trail. So we're going to go out to California now. Jordan uh, wants to tell us about how he's going to fix baseball. Jordan, welcome into the show. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Yeah, so I'm in the Anaheim market um, I do like what they did. That the games used to start at 7.05, so that makes for, you know, getting home at 11 o'clock at night, depending on where you live with traffic in SoCal. Um, they actually moved the games to 6.38 p.m., 6.35, so that's that's huge for, you know, families whatnot. They got school, you know, kids got school the next day. 
Um, but the concession stands, you know, that stuff's wild out here. Like, um, the food's not even that great to be charging, you know, what they charge for for soda and whatnot. And then, obviously, the ticket prices in, in Anaheim because you got Otani and Trout. I mean, I'm going to the game tonight, and I think we paid, like, $400 for two tickets for oh the lower gosh. level. And, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, you guys say 162-game season, half of those are home games. I mean, that's one game I'm spending $400 on top of parking, you know, not even including food. And, yeah, we have the nosebleed tickets, but who really wants to sit up there? You know what I mean? And, and taking little kids up there to sit way up top, you know, that's, that's not going to get them too interested in a game, you know? So Yeah, um, I, I appreciate the call, Jordan. Thanks so much. I mean, I remember going to Cubs games on opening day, and, and Harry, those prows, prices were gouged uh, heavily because opening day, you know, it's the first, first, uh, first game of 162 people's eyeballs are going to be on the product and the excitement level is at an all-time high and for a team like the Angels and, and they're playing uh, the Houston Astros tonight hosting them 9.38 p.m. Eastern time they've got the star power which probably contributes to the overall t- pr- uh, price ticket at least you know to be able to get in but man $400 for two tickets is a wine cooler come with that what I mean, apparently Damn. the concessions are very expensive, so Jordan <laughs> might be bringing his own wine cooler into the stadium tonight uh, if he's not trying to pay $20 for a beer. I mean, I didn't – I guess I never really thought of that, because the concession prices itself, because as someone who covers covers sports, I, I cover the uh, Chicago Bears for ESPN's NFL Nation, I don't typically go to concession stands all that often. I, I don't know. Is that something – I mean, we, we, I'd love to hear from you guys on the Canty Call-In line or – are stadiums around Major League Baseball? Is that a thing where the the concession prices are at an all time high? I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but uh, no, I mean I think that there is something to be said about that. Like the overall product of what baseball is putting out and how many games there are, you can't be charging prices like that regularly. I'd like I'd hope that those ticket prices would end up going down for a mid season game at the end of May. I, I mean, mean, you hope, but for all those games, one hundred sixty two and half of them. I, I don't see how families, unless you're just wealthy as yeah. I don't know what, are paying $200 per ticket. And if you have, say you have four people in your family, that's $800. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money now. I mean, unless so you got the Harry money. Douglas money. I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're right. talking about. <laughs> We're going to David in Georgia. <laughs> David, you, you've got an idea for baseball. You're on ESPN Radio. Hey, it's a very simple fix. Once the batter steps into the batter's box, he is not allowed to step out of the batter's box until the end of his at-bat. Okay. No more of this stepping out, adjusting his gloves, adjusting his crotch. None of that. <laughs> he, he, can, he can step out if he has to avoid a wild pitch, but that's where the game just, you know, especially when the playoffs, you're just like, God, oh, hold on, David. stay David. in the box. David, i got to ask you this. What if the man has jock itch? He can't step out the box and, and, and give, give himself no, a little scratch? No, Diggle it. Jiggle it, baby. <laughs> oh, man, we've gone off the rails. Um, okay, David, David, appreciate the call. Um, what happens, though, if you have to, like, if you want to adjust your swing? You can't call time anymore? I mean, I get that that would speed up the game, but, you know, I don't there's like something, that idea. I, I don't know if that would work because you're asking players to go in and lock in and not be able to make any sort of adjustments. You can't make those adjustments to change your swing and I know that I'm like doing it here Harry can see me on the zoom because I'm trying to like visualize what this would look like there's no room to do it in the batter's box you're gonna like bop the catcher in the head with your bat Mm -hmm. and there's there's real really no way to do it I think baseball can find other ways though to 
you know, speed up the process here of the game. That would be, you know, that's one thing I think they should look into. We we know with Pitchcom that that might be part of the result with not just having that be a process to limit sign stealing, but potentially speed up the game so you're not seeing the pitcher wave off the catcher like five different times on five different pitches that the catcher's trying to call. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one theory. I don't I don't know if that would work to you know keep the batters in the batter's box and not let them step out. But um, see, I need to step out the box. I need to spit my dip out. You know, I've tried dip once. I need to spit my snuff out and stuff like that. I need to get out the box. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I think there's a mental part of that too for batters. Like you get in a routine when you go up there, like, you know, you're, you're in the hole and then you're up at the plate, you're up at the plate. And when you want to step out, if you need to call time for a second, you got to be afforded the ability to do that. Otherwise, I don't know. I guess it's basically like you can't miss at that point. Um, Let's go out to Wendy in Mass. What's your uh, what's your idea, Wendy in Massachusetts? You're on ESPN Radio. My suggestion is really just, you know, agreeing with that other call-in about the price. The price is crazy to take a family of four and be expected to. I mean, we're taking family of four in June to a game, and it's crazy what you're paying. We're paying for barstool seats way out. You know, way out in right field, and is this at Fenway Park, you know, Wendy? Two, yes, okay. and it's just crazy what, what you put in as far as cash, and that's and it, it is. It's before you get there. It's before the parking. It's before the the concession stands are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, thanks for the call, Wendy. I mean, I think that you know, it's as someone as as we've talked about, Harry. Like you know, I've gone to a lot of Cubs games in my day, and tickets at Wrigley Field because those games, no matter whether the team is in first place or whether they're trash, like the those tickets are always going to sell out. Like every game is an announced sellout because that's an area that draws. And, and same with a place like Fenway Park, whether the Red Sox are you know first in the AL East or if they're last. Like you know, you're in a spot there where those are always going to be a really expensive ticket. Now, I don't know if maybe, you know, a little bit further south down in Tampa Bay or in St. Petersburg with the Tampa Bay Rays, if those tickets would be the same, you know, same sort of gouging that you'd see with the Which prices. Which is crazy or because they're a good they, They're much better. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Which is um, crazy, though. I, I think it's the market size. I wonder if yeah. that's something that we want to, like, consider as far as not just baseball. That might be, you know, all sports. But, but you um, know, those fans might be upset with uh, – with the coaching staff uh, back in the day when they went to the World Series and Blake Snell was the pitcher and he was doing good. They decided to take Blake out because of analytics. Next thing you know, they lost the World Series. So they may still be angry about that. All right, let's take one more call before we hit the break. We're going to get more of your calls here later on ESPN Radio. Dominic in Pennsylvania, uh, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm not sure, in my opinion, if the – pace of play or the length of play at a game is the technical problem. Um, I know when I'm at a game, I'm definitely enjoying myself. I never find myself saying hurry up or bored. Um, in my opinion, I think uh, with baseball being 162 games, um, it makes it a little hard to follow. Uh, I think as a casual fan, I think that's why football is such a popular sport uh, because you know exactly um, the days that it's going to be on um, and the three time zones. So, um, you know exactly when you got to be, wherever you got to be to watch your game. Baseball just seems a little hard to follow, and uh, when you can't remember your team's record, uh, it's a little discouraging. So that's my opinion. I think a shorter season or make set times for the games. Mm-hmm. And I think 
Thanks, Dominic. We appreciate the call. I don't think you're going to find much disagreement from me and Harry uh, on that topic of Thanks. less games in Major League Baseball. And I'm not saying that it has to be akin to the NFL in, in their 17-game season and then the playoffs, but 162 games for a casual fan. And that's what we're talking about here on ESPN Radio. Like, How do you improve baseball for the non-sabermetric people, the people who are casual, avid fans who want to tune in to a sport that has been phased out by the ML, by major league, uh, by excuse me, by the NFL, by the NBA, even hockey taking a jump. There's other sports that we we could certainly get into as well. You know, that's what you have to do: limiting, you know, not watering down your product with 162 games and then a month-long postseason where the postseason is the best part in baseball. I don't think you'll find too many people who are willing to disagree on that. Um, plenty more here. Uh, we've, we see the calls. John, Brian, Rocco, Bob, and Billy. We will get to your calls later in the show. But straight ahead, an update on Tiger Woods down at Augusta National. You're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Tiger Woods' first round at Augusta National at the 86 Masters is in the books. Score of 71. He finished one under par, tied for ninth place right now with Harry Higgs and Daniel Berger, along with Kevin Na and Tony Finau. Actually, there's many other people because I keep going down the leaderboard here, uh, Harry Douglas. There are a lot of players tied for ninth, but uh, Tiger Woods had an incredible day in his first major event in nearly 15 months following back surgery and a subsequent car accident that injured his right leg. And it was quite a day for him down at Augusta National. The crowd rose and rose deep behind him on, on every tee shot uh, during the first round. And I just feel like we got through the first hurdle here. There was a lot of you know collecting collective holding of breath from fans wondering how Tiger was going to look. And he certainly did not disappoint in his first day on the greens. No, he didn't disappoint at all. And if you're a Tiger, and even if you're a Tiger Woods fan, you have to like where he's sitting right now. Uh, my question is, I want to know how was that leg holding up? How's yep. that, that back holding up? Is he going to be able to push through this thing uh, tomorrow? But I like where Tiger's sitting right now, and hopefully he can pull this out because no one is rooting for him more than me. I want him to go ahead and win this thing. Scotty Scheffler, the number one ranked player in the world, tied for first right now. Uh, he's four under, along with Cameron Smith, who who was uh, you know been riding high on the leaderboard all day around. Uh, then the third place finishers, Danny Willett, Joaquin Neiman, and Dustin Johnson. So there's more action here. You can tune into ESPN right now. The the action is tuned over to to the linear network. Uh, all the other action is over on ESPN Plus. Round one in Augusta continues throughout the rest of the evening. We will have plenty more coverage here on ESPN Radio as well. Um, I, I think with Tiger, now we're wondering, okay, how is his body going to hold up till tomorrow? Like, what does he look like coming off the course? What does he sound like? Which we're going to hear from him here shortly. Uh, how, where is he at mentally going into tomorrow? It's going to be very, very important. And I want to know when he goes back to his room tonight, what is going to be going through his mind? Is he going to be envisioning himself uh, tomorrow? What's going to be going through his mind if uh, certain holes that he could have did better on today? Or is he just going to let those things go past him and focus all on the future and not the past? Yeah, I mean, he's – it's probably going to be feeling it physically. I'm sure everybody walking off of the golf course at Augusta National will be. But 
for him to make it to the weekend, we, we n- need to see tomorrow not be any sort of drop-off for Tiger Woods from the physical standpoint because the endurance it takes to finish around at Augusta National on one day alone, certainly nothing to scoff at. Straight ahead, more calls on how to fix baseball, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. ESPN Radio. It's opening day in baseball, day one of a 162-game schedule. Very long schedule. Some of us don't like that schedule and that length of a season that goes five months. But alas, we are here, not here to rain on the parade of baseball as uh, teams around the league begin starting up things after a 99-day lockout postpone the season in a week past opening day to April 7th. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Courtney Cronin. And we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Throughout the Canty call-in line number, I'm going to do it one more time. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We're going to get into your calls now on how you would fix Major League Baseball. Going out to John in Iowa. This seems to be a common theme here among our callers on the show about the Price gouging with these tickets. John, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I used to be an avid baseball fan, but these ticket prices are outrageous. I can remember my parents taking us to a Braves game, and it would be less than 300 bucks mm-hmm. for a nice weekend at the ballpark. Now my daughter's wanting to go to a Cubs game, and she's like, Dad, I can't afford $2,000 for a ticket. So, yeah, I'm done with baseball. I think it's crazy. My daughter has expensive taste, by the way. Are those, like, behind-home plate seats? Like, $2,000 a ticket is uh, a little Behind the dugout. I tell her, you know, you're you're shooting for the stars. You need to kind of go with those nosebleeds. But anyway. No, no. Keep shooting for the stars. Your daughter keeps shooting for the stars. Yeah, I think that, John, thanks for the call. Um, You know, Major League Baseball itself, this has been an issue for years now. It's not just 2022, but it kind of feels like from the representation we're seeing with these calls, Harry, that tickets are at an all-time high. And, you know, I'm going to take a look here at StubHub about, like, what the opening day tickets are going to be tonight in Atlanta to see the world champion Atlanta Braves take on the Cincinnati Reds. Coverage of that begins 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio. But if you're watching a team that just came off the World Series, what do those tickets look like at SunTrust Park? Like, it feels like baseball has priced itself out of the casual fan being able to just pop by for a game once a month, maybe twice a summer, things like that. And I wonder, does this help minor league baseball at all in terms of the overall Mm. viewership and the overall accessibility of the sport? Well, I I will say this. Uh, Well, I don't know how much it costs in Atlanta to pay for a ticket, and you know the answer to that. You know why, Courtney? Because I'm not paying a ticket to go to no game. You're going going for free. free. Yes. But I will say this, and I'm I'm – I'm curious. I'm going to take it another step further. I'm curious to see what's the price for a ticket for the Boston Red Sox and Yankees game, mm-hmm. um, especially opening day. So I'm, I'm looking on right now, uh, but I can go more in depth. But I think for, for, for baseball, I think that's one of the things they have to take a look at. And the owners being as greedy as they are, because they all are um, in every sport, I don't think it's something they're going to lower because I really truly don't think right now that they care about the 
the average fan when it comes to baseball. And we've seen that with the lockout. We've seen that in the negotiations with the players. And for them to move forward and for baseball to take steps forward, I think they need to understand that at the end of the day, in every sport, it doesn't matter what it is, fans drive the game because they're the people coming to pay to watch. And until they understand it, I think it's going to continue to be at a standstill like it is. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to this Braves game tonight uh, when they host the Cincinnati Reds, 8.08 p.m., first pitch on, on the East Coast, that's a trust, uh, trust, truest park in Atlanta, um, you get a magnetic schedule if you go tonight. I guess that's a really cool giveaway for a <laughs> ticket that could cost you if you're sitting in, like, I'm looking over on, like, the left field box seats. You're not – getting in for less than like 150 which is I guess what you'd expect to see a world champion team but for teams like the Chicago Cubs you know the Boston Red Sox these franchises that have a lot of history behind them and always tend to sell out opening day that's usually a much uh, more expensive fee to get in um Speed of the game has been a big thing, too, that baseball has tried to remedy. We know that Pitchcom, the anti-sign-stealing device, could potentially end up speeding up the game. But are there other ways that baseball can do this? Let's go out to Rocco in Ohio. Rocco, what's your idea to speed up the game in baseball? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, My idea is I agree with the one caller. I wouldn't let the batter get out of the batter's box once he's in. And same with the pitcher on the pitcher's mound. Okay. Rocco, thanks for the call. I mean, how feasible is that, though, Harry? Because there's Uh, part uh, of it, like, I'm trying to think, it's like a receiver. Is there any sort of parallel to that that you could draw of, like, if I couldn't do this, I couldn't play the position that would be like, once you're you're set at the line, you can't move? Like, would that be an equivalent? It's it's like you're in jail in the batter's box. Like, you can't (laughs) can't go out. And, and, And listen, a lot of pitchers, a lot of batters, they have routines, right? And sometimes you want to clear your mind and, 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 and get back to, to where you need to be to deliver a right pitch or to get a hit that your team may need in a certain situation. Now, I, I don't have a problem with somebody going out of the batter's box. What we're we talking about here, what, 10 extra? Probably not even 10. It adds up, though. I mean, they're not six. wrong. It does add up. I know, but I just – I don't know if you want to break routine and players – It'd be uh, loving that routine. Yeah. yeah, it'd certainly be a difficult thing to enforce. Uh, we'll see if baseball's able to do anything else to speed up the game. If you feel Major League Baseball ticket prices are too high, head over to Vivid Seats where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Straight ahead, the Masters is going on and everyone is talking about Tiger Woods. Are people backing Tiger in Vegas? We discuss next, ESPN Radio.